0: I'm from Downtown Presbyterian Church. I know some of you have history with Downtown Presbyterian but some of you in a pretty wonderful way don't have history with Downtown Presbyterian and I'm really grateful for that. It's really fun to be with you. I'm glad I'm not afraid of heights. I'm so high above you here. Um, I do just want to say that I'm really thankful for this church. I'm very thankful for your pastor. I had the privilege, true privilege, of sharing a wall with him for three years at Downtown Presbyterian before. This was a church, and it was the best. You know, sometimes if you have to share a wall with people, that can be really difficult because you have to see them every day. You have to talk to them every day. These were thin walls, too, so I could hear everything that he said, and it was wonderful. I loved getting to hang out with your pastor every day, and the greatest thing is that this church is here, and the hardest thing about this church being here is that Jonathan's not at Downtown Pres anymore. We don't get to share a wall, so I mean that, and I would say it if he wasn't in the room. I mean, if he was in the room. Anyway, we're going to look at John chapter 11 together. Uh, It it may be a little too on the nose to talk about resurrection, at resurrection, but we're going for it. So John chapter 11, uh, and we're going to look at the story of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. So that's a bit of a spoiler alert. The cat's out of the bag, I guess. That's where this is headed. But if you have a Bible, you can turn there, and we'll start in verse 17 and go through verse 44. So John 11, 17 through 44. There's a place... Later, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says to his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Now, you and I can have all kind of trouble in this life. You know, what does Jesus mean by trouble? Well, trouble that you could experience might be job loss or the loss of a friendship through betrayal or through death. Uh, You could lose a dream, that you always wanted to come true. That could be the trouble that you experience. Uh, It could just be that you wanted a certain kind of family, and you didn't get it. Or you want a certain kind of relationship, and you don't have it. You want a certain kind of life, and you don't have it. Jesus says, You're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Now, there's an ultimate kind of trouble in this world, and that is death. It's the ultimate trouble. There's no trouble worse than death. Uh, When I was in the fifth grade, my mom called our school, which is usually a bad sign when mom calls the school. And she was calling to tell me that my grandfather had died. It was the first person that I really loved who had died. First funeral I can ever remember going to. Didn't really hit me though, as a 10 year old kid or whatever. Uh, the same year we got a dog, I don't know if it was because my grandfather had died or not, but we got a dog named Lily, who became sort of a, probably my first therapist. <laughs> uh, you know, you can talk to a dog as much as you want to, they won't get tired of you, which is kind of nice. And so when I was sad or afraid or things like that, I would, I would talk to the dog. And when I was in college, this is probably 10 years after we got the dog, I got a letter in the mail that was from the dog. I know, dogs don't write letters, okay. Uh, my dad used to write these letters and he'd write them like, I guess, like a dog wrote it, you know, maybe with his left hand or something. And the dog, the, the dog wrote and said, uh, this is the last time you're gonna hear from me because I have to go now. I'm, whatever. 20 years old in my college kitchen crying. I'm trying to be a man, you know, and I'm crying in front of these other guys who are trying to be men, and they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, my dog wrote me this letter, okay? (laughs) I can't explain it, but it's very sad. It's the ultimate trouble, death. You know, we're out here living life. We're making plans for the future. We've got hopes and dreams for our children, for our friends, for the people older than us, for our neighborhood, we've got dreams about this world. And death comes in and ends it, it ends life. And death is not a maybe trouble that you and I will experience. It's a for sure trouble that we'll experience. In fact, if you live a long time, you'll experience more death because the people around you will all die if you live a long time. Uh, St. Augustine, he lived in the 4th century, that's the 300s, and he uh, said, man carries around his mortality in his body. What he meant is that we're all getting closer to death the longer that we live, and we sort of show it. We all look a little bit more dead now than we did a year ago or 10 years ago. No offense. And Augustine says that us carrying around the fact that we're going to die is evidence of our sin. That is, that we turn from God, we rebel against God. Now, Augustine is not trying to be, you know, a firecracker. Uh, He's he's certainly not trying to make us look at a hard thing for no reason. He's trying to make sense of everything. He's telling the story of everything, which is that when God made the world, there was no death. There was not supposed to be death. Death is an intruder, an awful intruder. And the reason death came into the world is because of our sin. Death is our problem that we invited into the world and that we carry around in our bodies that we can't avoid. It's the ultimate trouble. So, what does Jesus do when he comes face to face with the ultimate trouble, which is death? His friend Lazarus has gotten sick, and his friend Lazarus has died. So let's look at what Jesus does. John 11, 17 through 44. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him... This is God's good word. Let's pray together. Our Father, how we need you now as we look at your word. We pray you'd show us yourself through Jesus by your Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It says that when Jesus got to Lazarus, he'd already been dead for four days. Uh, no doubt Jesus had heard that Lazarus was sick. And that he was on the verge of death long before that. But he decided to show up when he showed up. And when Jesus gets to his friend Lazarus's tomb, uh, a few things happen. First, verse 33, if you've got your Bible. It says he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. Now, a lot of people have pointed out where it says Jesus was deeply moved. Uh, sometimes it will have a little footnote in your Bible, it might have one there, that that word really means that he was raging angry, deeply moved, raging angry. Uh, when Jesus shows up at the tomb of his friend who had died, he's angry, he's yelling, and what's he yelling at? He's yelling at death. I don't know if this is still on the required reading list for students these days, but we had to read a book called The Bridge to Terabithia*. Some of you might have read that too. I hope you don't remember too many details. So that I can make up this next part. I'm just kidding. But. Uh, in The Bridge to Terabithia, one of the main characters develops a really cr- close friendship with this girl, and they're spending some time together, and the girl dies. And when the, the boy, who's got this close friendship with this girl, hears the news. We watched the movie adaptation. You had, we had to read the book first as a class, and then at the end you got to watch the movie which I wish I had a game that system, you know, and rented the movie from the library so I didn't have to read the book. But anyway, the teacher was smart. We just read the book first. But So when we, when we watched this movie, we wondered sort of, all right, how is this scene where he hears that his friend has died going to play out in the movie? Because that could be a very big deal for a director, you know, to take a book and maybe change something. In the movie, the boy hears that this girl has died, and he doesn't say anything for just a second. And then he looks at the person who told him, and he says, I don't want to be too loud. He says, you lie. That backfired. He says it probably even louder than that. You lie. Now, that's not proper English. You have lied. You told a lie. Uh, But he just says, you lie. That's just what's coming out of him when he lost this loved one can't even think straight he's feeling so deeply and he's angry that's how Jesus feels he's mad at death he's saying to death you shouldn't have done that you took away my friend you shouldn't have done that that was wrong so he's very mad and then verse 35 Jesus wept so first he's angry then Jesus is sad Now, some people have asked, why is he sad? Why is Jesus sad? Doesn't he know what's going to happen? That he can raise his friend from the dead? Doesn't he know how the story ends? Sure. He also knows that even if he raises Lazarus from the dead, he's going to die again. C.S. Lewis is the one who pointed that out to me, at least first. He said, didn't Lazarus have a rough life to have to die twice? Jesus cries because his friend died, and it made him very sad. When Jesus comes face to face with the ultimate trouble, he's really mad and he's really sad. That's grief. He's grieving. Does it surprise you that Jesus reacts that way? You know, it's always a good idea to do what Jesus did. To imitate him. And so that means that if you experience death, death of a loved one, death of a dream, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be mad. Jesus was. In fact, there might be a grave that you need to cry at, there may be something that's dead in your life that you need to go do what Jesus did to go to it, yell at it, and cry. The fact that Jesus cried at death is an invitation to be honest. To say, you know what? Jesus, you're right. There is trouble in this world, and it's really bad. And I'm going to be okay with being as mad and sad as you were at the death that I experience in life. Because Jesus is a human being, And not just a human being, but a very real human being. He knows what it's like to experience death. He knows what it's like to experience all the pain that you've experienced in your life. The pain of a broken friendship, the pain of betrayal, the pain of losing a loved one. He knows what it's like. He knows exactly what it's like. He doesn't know the idea of what it's like. He knows exactly what it's like because he's experienced it as a human being, just like we do. Now, did you notice that everyone in the story is asking Jesus couldn't you have done something? Or accusing Jesus, you could have done something. So the two sisters of Lazarus talk to him first. Martha's the first one to get to him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's not a question. It's not a request. It's a statement of fact. A somewhat endearing one, because she knows and believes that Jesus can heal people. She's probably heard and seen. That Jesus has healed people with this exact kind of disease, the exact thing that killed her brother Lazarus. She's seen, no, no, no. Jesus can step in to those kind of scenes and he can heal them. He can keep those people from dying. Jesus, why didn't you do that for my brother? And then when her sister, Lazarus's other sister, gets to Jesus, she says the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She knows Jesus can heal people. And then it says some of the Jews who are there, some of the people who are also friends with Lazarus, also knew him, also know Jesus has this power, say, couldn't he, who opened the eyes of the blind, have done something? Notice that when Jesus hears that, he doesn't say to them, how dare you? How dare you accuse me of not doing the right thing? I'm God. I do what I want. He doesn't say that. The fact that they're asking those questions and that they're deeply moved about the death of their brother moves Jesus. You could actually say that the fact that they point those accusations and those questions at Jesus is the thing that moves him. He sees how sad they are. He sees how much it's hurt them that they've had to experience this death of their friend, their brother. And so it moves him. It's the thing that leads him to yell and to cry is hearing these sisters say how sad they are and say to Jesus, couldn't you have done something? Couldn't you have done something? They are pointing their questions the right direction. When you and I experience death, it is extremely natural for us to say, God, what are you doing? Why did this happen? Couldn't you have done something? It's a very different thing for us to sit alone in our rooms and say, God could have done something but he didn't, than to look at God and to say, God, could you have done something? See, Jesus doesn't shoo away their questions. He receives them because they're pointed the right direction. So when you experience death, and you experience the pain of death, and you want to ask somebody why that pain is there, ask God. Point your doubt at God. Point your questions at God. Point your anger at God. He invites it. Now, Jesus is not just angry. He's not just sad. He's not just listening to the complaints of these sisters. He does something. So as Jesus goes over to the tomb, and he says to them, take away the stone where Lazarus is laid. And one of the sisters says, whoa, 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 he's been dead four days. You can't do that. It's going to smell bad. He's been dead for four days. And then Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It says, the man who had died came out. Uh, Jesus has said to these sisters, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I'm the resurrection. Now, Jesus said that in response to one of the sisters saying, Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, I know we're probably not supposed to be too sad right now. We're probably supposed to be okay with this because one day there's going to be a resurrection and God's people are going to be raised from the dead. And Jesus says to those sisters, that's not just an idea you have to try to convince yourself of. I'm going to show you right now that it's real, and I'm going to show you how it works. Here's how real it is. I'm the one who will raise your brother from the dead. I'm right here. The resurrection that you really, really want to be true is standing right in front of you, and you don't have to wait for it. I'm going to show you that I can do it. And so he goes over to Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus, come out. I heard one person commenting on this, say he has to call Lazarus by name, because if he just said come out, a bunch of dead people might come back to life. So he says, Lazarus, come out. And you can almost imagine Jesus turning to those sisters going, see? Don't you see? I can do it. He believed in me, and he who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So unbind him. And let him go. Now, do you know what it cost Jesus to be able to raise Lazarus from the dead? Jesus is taking Lazarus' place in the tomb. Do you notice the way that Lazarus' tomb is described? It's a cave, there's a stone in front of it. Whose tomb does that sound like? Sunday school answer. It's Jesus' tomb. Jesus is going over to to the tomb of Lazarus and saying, okay, Before St. Augustine, we carry around the fact that we're sinners. We carry around the fact that we're going to die. Those things are all mixed together. All right, Lazarus, you're one of those people who has carried around your mortality, and it finally came and got you. I'm going to take your place. You come out of that tomb, and I'll go into it. And in between Jesus' tomb and Lazarus' tomb, Jesus is going to go onto a cross, and he's going to take the reason for our mortality onto himself. The reason that there's death in the world, Jesus is going to take on to himself. Jesus is going to kill death by dying. The image here is like uh, I heard a story from years ago where this dog saw these little kids playing in his own backyard and there was a venomous snake that came and uh, the dog saw the venomous snake and the dog ran over to that venomous snake and bit the snake fatally. And the snake, of course, bit the dog fatally. And they both died. Jesus is like that dog. He goes to the cross and he says, hey, the reason that you should die is your fault. It's your sin. I'm going to take your sin onto myself. I will let your sin kill me so that you can be raised to life. Jesus is taking Lazarus' place in the tomb. Uh, And Jesus says, this is for anyone. Do you notice he doesn't say, I'm the resurrection because Lazarus believes in me though he die, yet shall he live. He says, I'm the resurrection. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So to say, anyone who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And the question for us is the same question that Jesus asked those sisters. Do you believe this? In the face of your own death? In the face of the death of a loved one? Or the death of something you really want to be true? Do you believe this? That Jesus is the resurrection? Uh, The Nicene Creed, I don't know if you guys ever used that here, but the Nicene Creed is a lot like the Apostles' Creed. If you grew up in church, you might have recited the Apostles' Creed. You might have recited the Nicene Creed too, but at the end of these creeds that the early church put together, they were trying to put together, what do Christians believe in this small little sort of bite-sized way that hopefully people could memorize. At the end of the Apostles' Creed, you get something like this. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's good. Jesus is asking, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? hope that you do. But the Nicene Creed ends differently. The Nicene Creed says this, not I believe in the resurrection of the dead or I hope in the resurrection of the dead. The Nicene Creed says, I look for the resurrection of the dead. Now, what in the world does that mean, to look for the resurrection of the dead? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. To not look for the resurrection of the dead would be to show up at Lazarus' tomb and to say, ah, you know what's appropriate now is to be very angry and very sad, end of story. That's all there is to it. Life is hard and then you die. That's not looking for the resurrection of the dead. To look for the resurrection of the dead would be to go to Lazarus' tomb or go to the grave in your life the thing that makes you sad and say, "This is sad," this does make me angry, but this is not the end of the story. There is resurrection coming, and the resurrection that's coming sometimes bursts into this life. It doesn't just have to be a one-day deal. Think about the way Jesus talked to that sister. Ah, yes, 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 the resurrection is coming, and Jesus says, "No, no, 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 no. Don't be thinking it's just a one-day deal. It's a today deal." Sometimes the resurrection that you and I need to be looking for is a resurrection today. Uh, The thing that really breaks your heart, the broken relationship, do not be surprised when it is mended. Uh, When the dream that died comes true, do not be surprised. When the worst case scenario never happens, don't be surprised. But know that there's one that you can look at and say, thank you, You are the resurrection. All the resurrection I experience is because you decided to die in my place. So we look for the resurrection of the dead. Let me close with two stories of maybe some of what this looks like to look for the resurrection, to hope in the resurrection. Uh, Years ago, a family friend of ours had a uh, daughter who struggled with drug addiction. And I was talking to the dad one day. Uh, about his daughter and uh, he told me the story he said yeah we bought her a car when she was younger and pretty soon after we bought her the car she went and she sold it so that she could buy drugs and he said I really didn't know what to do with that but I decided I would go buy the car back so he went and he bought the car back I was like whoa how'd you decide to do that he said well when I thought about it I knew that that was a bit risky maybe even foolish but it just seemed so like God to do that? Well, years later, his daughter died of an overdose. And we were at their house the day after. That's a hard house to be in. Uh, it's a house of mourning, a house of sadness, a house of death. And nobody really knows what to say. Nobody knows what to do. And, uh, Nobody expects that father to know what to say either, or what to do. He, I heard him say to one of his friends, "We've been crying a lot of deep tears." I've never heard that phrase before. I have to imagine those are the kind of tears that Jesus cried at Lazarus's tomb—deep tears after a little while of sort of shuffling about, nobody saying much, not knowing what to say, the father walked into the room where everybody was in their living room, and he said, all right, everybody, form a circle and join hands, and I want you to repeat after me. And then he quoted from Romans 8. He said, for I am sure, and we all responded, for I am sure, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when the ultimate trouble comes, what do we need to know? We need to know that Jesus wept, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. And he says, when you experience death, and you will, if you believe in me, you'll experience resurrection. That's good news for us. Let's pray together. Our Father, how we thank you for the hope of resurrection. Thank you for the hope of the Lord Jesus who is willing to take our place, who is willing to suffer and die, who is willing to... Come all the way into death to rescue us from the ultimate trouble, to give us hope in the face of the ultimate trouble. Pray that you'd help us to be honest about the pain of death, honest about the reality of death, and make us hopeful that you, Lord Jesus, really have conquered the ultimate enemy through your own death and through your resurrection. We pray in your name. Amen.